It is good to be with you. It is good to see you. And we appreciate very much those who are visiting. We're so glad that you're here. And we hope that you'll come back and be with us every opportunity that you have. We'll open your Bibles to the book of James, and we're going to be looking at that passage in a moment again. But as we get in our lesson, I want to think about this year. You know, this has been a year where 2020 vision, our theme for the year, has been somewhat challenged. When this theme was chosen and we kind of planned out, you know, various topics that would be related to the theme... Uh, we did not know what this year you know, would present to us and how it would all kind of you know, fall out before us and what we'd be dealing with. And so as a, result, as a result, yes, 2020 vision has been somewhat of a challenge you know, throughout this year, particularly when we think about our spiritual vision. We are living in an environment, we're living in a culture where there are all kinds of distractions and interruptions to faith. And those distractions, interruptions, they're, they're flourishing, they're growing, they're increasing. And we would not be honest to ourselves if we would not you know, look in the mirror and admit it's been a challenge. And it's been a challenge to us spiritually. And that, yes, our faith perhaps in moments has been somewhat wrought in a way that we did not foresee or could not imagine that would have happened this year. And so are we looking at things? Are we seeing things with clarity? Are we doing that with 2020 vision? You know, God has given us eyes to see. But that does not mean that we are actually seeing what we need to see. God has given us ears to hear, but doesn't mean they were always hearing the things that we need to be hearing. And particularly, as Kerry, I think, brought out even in his lesson, we're not always seeing within ourselves the things, perhaps, that we need to be seeing in ourselves. And so routine eye checks, we know, are helpful in maintaining a healthy vision so that our eyes are being taken care of. And is not that even more important? Even is that not even more vital when it comes to our spiritual vision? When it comes to those things that affect our present life, but not just the present life, but the life to come as well. In James, the book of James, as we began uh, this morning in our assembly, the Holy Spirit guided James to exhort God's people to keep looking into God's Word. And so, yes, we need 2020 vision. To see God's word. To see that it is truly the word from God. We need to have that kind of clarity. But that's not all. We also need to have 20-20 vision to see what God is actually saying. And what he's saying to us. What he's saying to you and me in the scriptures. We need 20-20 vision 
And so this morning I titled, Looking Intently into God's Word. Danger is always lurking around the corner, particularly as time passes by. And one such danger is this, that we might, that we might see God's Word, but not see it. That we might hear God's Word, but not hear it. And so we need to have... You know, the ability and the focus and the determination to, yes, look into God's Word, but to do so intently. And what do we mean by that? Well, if you're doing something intently, you're doing it purposefully. You, you have planned it. It's not accidental. It's not by chance. It is done with purpose. It is done earnestly, zealously. It is done with a... with a fixedly attentive approach. And that's what we need to do with God's Word. And that's what it means to, when you think about having 20-20 vision in regard to the inspired Scriptures. We know, as believers of God, as disciples of Jesus Christ, we know and we're convicted of the fact that all Scriptures have come from the mouth of God. We know that. And as brought out even in the lesson previously that was referred to here in 2 Timothy 3.16, where it says, all scriptures is inspired by God. All scriptures is, it is inspired by God. Not by men, but by God. And as a result of that, it is profitable. And it's profitable over all manner of kinds of communication. Teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness. As believers of God and believers that the Bible is God's word, you know, this is a very familiar passage and is referred to often, rightfully so, that we're reminded of what this truth is being stated here. In a very practical way, Jesus said the same thing on that occasion when he's attempted, and he responds with this you know, answer to a temptation. He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. What's he saying? He's saying, first of all, scriptures are inspired. That God's word is is his inspired word. It is God-breathed. It is from his mouth. And that's what you and I need to be living by. That's what we need to be eating every day. Filling our hearts, filling our minds with the true bread, not just physical bread, but the true bread that endures unto eternal life. Now, this principle that Jesus brings out here in Matthew chapter 4 was true even in the days of the patriarchs. When you're reading there in the book of Genesis, it was true then. The man should not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Abraham had to live that way. Noah had to live that way. Melchizedek had to live that way. 
It's also true when you talk about the time period of God establishing the covenant with his chosen nation Israel. And so, you know, the majority part of the Old Testament, the same principle is true. That Israelites had to live on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And it is still true. We don't live in the days of the patriarchs. And we don't live under the Old Covenant, the Old Testament time period. We live under the New Covenant, under Christ. But the principle is still true. We are not to be living on bread alone, on the things that this physical world provides, but we need to be living on every word, every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So, when you and I are looking into our Bibles, when we are reading them, when we're listening to a lesson or a sermon, when we're studying the Bible, we ought to be accepting it, accepting those words, accepting the message as what it really is, as the Word of God. Every time we open up these pages and we read it or we talk about it, we need to be listening to the message because it's a message from God. God has spoken. God has spoken. God has spoken. We need to see the magnitude of that. And he is still speaking. And he's he's speaking to us, to you and me, through the sword of the Holy Spirit. This Bible that we have in front of us. He is still speaking. It is the living word of God. It is not dead. It is alive because it contains the power of the creator. Now a lot of people today will read their Bibles and they'll study their Bibles. But it doesn't do them any lasting good. Why? Because they are not taking to heart who is the originator and the author of the sum total of truth. They're not considering the fact that all scriptures have come from the mouth of God. God is the originator of this. God is the author of this. God is behind it all. And we need to be mindful of that. We need to have the vision To see that every day you were granted breath and strength to live. But maybe at times we don't. We get distracted. We get interruptions. And perhaps we don't always take as seriously this precious revelation from your creator and from your heavenly father. The magnitude of God's word, a word of truth, a word of grace, should fill us with awe and humility. And so we need to be looking into God's word. Why? Well, there's a number of of answers that you could rightfully present. But beginning here in James chapter 1, verse 21... We need to be looking into God's word with purpose, with earnestness, with a fixed attentiveness. Why? Well, first of all, as mentioned here in chapter 21, when he says, put away sin, 
And he goes on to say, in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your soul. This book that sometimes is put on a shelf and collects dust is able to save your soul. Nothing in this world, nothing in this physical realm can save your soul. There is no exercise plan. There is no nutrition plan. There is no charity plan. There is no investment plan. There is no insurance plan. There is no other plan that can save your soul. You've got a soul. And it's going to live eternally somewhere. You have a soul, the most precious thing that you have. And there's nothing in this world that can save that soul of yours. But God's word can. That's the magnitude of this truth. That's the magnitude of this collection of the word of God's grace. That it is able to save your soul. As, as Paul states in Romans 1.16, when he talks about how he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And why was that? Why was Paul not ashamed of the gospel? Well, he tells us there. He says, the gospel of Christ. The gospel of Christ is the power. That's what he says. The gospel is the power. It is the power of God for salvation. Men can't do that. Preachers can't do that. Elders can't do that. Parents can't do that. We can't save each other's souls. But God can. And God's word can. And we need to understand that. We need to have the clarity to see that this is able to save me and to save you. Now, the success of God's word to accomplish what it is able to do. It is able to do what it tells us it can do. But that is partly dependent upon the individual, every individual, believing the words of God. But now that's not all, is it? We need to believe those words, and that's brought out here in James 1.21. We need to humbly receive those words. I've got to believe it, and I've got to receive it. I've got to accept it. And then, as James writes here in this chapter, and then I've got to do what he says. And so this word is able to do what it says it can do, but it's partly dependent on me having a heart, me having the mindedness, me having the intent to look into it to be saved. I also need to be looking intently into God's word and continue to do that because it is able to give us heavenly wisdom. It is able to give us heavenly wisdom. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, we often quote verse 16 and verse 17. But in that same context, listen to what Paul had said to Timothy. And the principle is applicable to us as well. 
when he says in verse 14, You, however, continue the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom. This word is not only able to save us, this word is able to give us wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So like Timothy from his childhood, children, young adults, all of us for that matter, pay attention to your Bible studies. Pay attention to... To your Bible studies, into your Bible reading. Why is that? Because the Bible is sacred writings. It's sacred. And so Paul reminds the young preacher Timothy, you've known these writings from childhood. Don't forget them. You've learned them. You've become convinced of them. Realize what a precious gift it is. In Psalm 19, verse 7, it says, The testimony of the Lord makes a person wise. Over in 119 in Psalms, it says, The commandments of God make one wiser than his enemies. In the same Psalm, in verse 130, it says, These words will give you light and understanding. God's word is able to give you, to bless you with heavenly wisdom. And it is for that reason that we ought to be applying ourselves properly and examining it. For example, in in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 13 and 14, the inspired writer, the Holy Spirit guided writer, is actually rebuking Christians because they hadn't been paying attention, hadn't been looking with the right intent into God's word, and they therefore had not grown spiritually as they really should have. But listen to what he says here in chapter 5, verse 13. He says, For everyone who partakes of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food, Solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. When we apply ourselves correctly and properly to an examination of God's word, therein is the wisdom that will bless us with discernment, the ability And the power to judge rightly, to discern things between good and evil. And we need that wisdom. In in the world, in our lives sometimes, things get pretty muddy, pretty cloudy. And so we need God's help to kind of clear the air and see. See what we need to see, particularly from God's word. And God's word is also able, when we give the right attention, it is able to transform us 
into men of God. As we go back to that 2 Timothy passage again, and, and, and you look particularly there in verse 17. Verse 16 says, all scripture is inspired and it's profitable. But then he goes on to say in the same sentence, so that, so here's what the scripture is able to do. It's, it, it will teach you, it will reprove you, it will correct you, it will train you so that, what's the goal? Well, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped, or thoroughly furnished for every good work. Paul addressed the same kind of point in 2 Timothy, excuse me, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, when he talks about being a workmanship of Christ, prepared for good works, every good work. And so, you know, we need to be looking intently into God's word, you know, because it is able to transform us. It is able to change us into the people that we need to be. God's word is not simply ancient literature that is reviewed on some academic level or in some academic environment. That's not the purpose of the Bible. And there may be some literary benefit there. But that's not why God spoke. God spoke why? To give us instruction, to give us commandments that are to be followed and to be followed throughout our personal lives. You think about the idea, God has spoken, and he's spoken to do, for what reason? Well, he's spoken to direct our steps. He has spoken to change our direction when we have taken the wrong road. He has spoken so that he can make us mature and complete in him. It is able not only to save you. It is able not only to give you the wisdom that you need to make right discernment. It is able to transform you in ways that only God can transform. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, a familiar passage where we are exhorted and admonished. when it says, do not be conformed to this world. You know, the world, this world, it's not the standard that we need to be looking to guide us. He says, don't, don't be like the world, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind, proving, you know, the, will of, the acceptable will of God. Life transformation, though, requires what? A change of thoughts. And a change of intentions. And so Paul says, you need to be transformed. But it, what's gonna, how's it going to do it? It's gonna, you have to do it by changing your mind. Changing your thoughts, your motives, your intentions, your desires. How, how, how can I do that? You do that with the word of God. That's how you do that. You do that with the acceptable, proven will of God. That will change you. And as it changes our thoughts and changes our intentions, it will change our actions on a daily basis. But also I need to look intently into the word of God because it will judge us on the last day. Kerry kind of preached my sermon this morning. In John chapter 12, verse 48, John chapter 12, verse 48 Jesus makes a very bold statement. I'm again reading at verse 47. He's, as Jesus is speaking, 
And he says, if anyone, and he means anyone, if anyone hears my sayings and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He rejects me and does not receive my sayings as one who judges him. The word, the word that I have spoken is what will judge him at the last day. In Revelation chapter 20, around verses 11 through 15, there is a a picture, a vision that depicts the great judgment scene of all humanity. And in that depiction, in that revelation that God shares with us through the penmanship of the Apostle John, what is told us is that men's deeds are going to be judged. And the Bible teaches that elsewhere, so that's nothing new. But they're going to be judged by things written in books. So that's what's depicted there in in Revelation 20. Got this vision where books are being opened and all humanity is gathered before the throne of God to be judged. And they're going to be judged by things written in those books. Now we're told that one of those books, one of those books is the book of life. And it's going to be opened. And we're told specifically what the book of life is. It, it, It contains all the names Of everyone who's going to heaven. That's what the book of life is. It's a list of everybody who had their name written in that book and they're going to go to heaven. And so you better make sure your name's in that book. And the gospel is all about how how we do that. So that's one book. The names of those who will enter heaven and be with God and the Lord and Savior Jesus eternally. But then you got these other books too. Other divine books, heavenly books that are being opened and they're being used, implying that there is an authoritative standard of some kind. There, there's a standard, there's a measure you know, by which we are going to be weighed. He says, You're gonna be everyone's gonna be judged by books. I suggest to you that, as Jesus says, we're gonna be judged by the word of God. And by the word of Jesus Christ. And so the magnitude of God's word should fill us with awe, yes, but also with humility. Because an examination of God's word should should be approached, how? It should be approached with the intention to make applications. We don't read the Bible just because it's something to do. We don't read and study the Bible just because it's it's a nice little positive encouragement. You know, gives me a good thought for the day. That's not the only reason we, we study and read and listen to God's word. It's, to, it's because it is to be taken and applied. And so we're encouraged in 2 Timothy chapter 2, 2 Timothy chapter 2, 15. They were encouraged, we're instructed to study, you know, uh, to give diligence, to show ourselves Approved God. And what I want you to notice in that verse is the reasons why we're told to study. The reasons we're told to be diligent with God's word. And there's two. There's two reasons stated in that verse. The first one is you need to, you need to study, you need to be diligent with God's word because 
Through that, you become an approved workman of God. Not just an approved student, but an approved workman of God. Applications is the purpose. You know, none of us can know what pleases God without studying God's Word. None of us can know what, you know, you know, what we should do to, to be saved without the gospel of Jesus Christ. None of us would know who Jesus really is without the Scriptures. We wouldn't know those things. So yes, we need to study. We need to be diligent with God's Word. Why? So that we will be approved workmen of God. But also we need to do that to utilize that truth correctly so that we will turn around and then use it rightly. You know, there is all kinds of teaching religiously in our culture and in the world. There's lies, there's deceit, there's error. It's all around us. So how do we sort through all of that? How do we figure out what's true and what's not true? Only by being students of God's truth. And when we, when we know it and we use it properly and correctly, then we'll be able to discern between good and evil. So I need to speak the truth, but also I need to live the truth. And that's why in James chapter 1, we are encouraged to be quick to listen and yet be humble in receiving and planting that word in our life. Preconceived notions and personal preferences can be huge barriers to any one of us. And it's a barrier to sincerely hearing God. It can happen to any of us. That we'll hear it but not hear. We'll see but not see. But as James brings out here, hearing alone is just not enough. That's not all it takes. We must accept it in faith by adhering to its instructions. So going back to James and just reading uh, verse 25 of chapter 1, he says, One who looks intently... One who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it. We've got to look and we've got to abide. Two things. Not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer. This man will be blessed in what he does. And so when one looks intently into the word of God into this law of liberty, the very power that can save our soul and abides by it, that individual, that believer, that doer of God's word is going to be blessed in what he does. That's why Jesus asked the probing question in Luke 6, 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? If I am Lord, and he is... But if someone claimed Jesus to be his Lord, but he's not doing what the Lord has said, then he must not really believe he's Lord. At least he's not Lord in his life right now. And so we need to be very quick to listen to what God has to say, what the scriptures reveal to us. But at the same time, we need to be very humble and implant that into our hearts. But then finally, 
Finally, we must not drift away from the word of our Lord. Go into Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. In chapter 1, we've been introduced to the fact that God has now spoken to us in these last days through His Son, Jesus Christ. The very one who is the radiance of the Father's glory, the representation of the Father's nature, who upholds you know, all things by the word of His power, who has purified sin, is now sits at the right hand of the majesty on high. That's Jesus. And God says, I have spoken to humanity. I have spoken to the world in these last days through him. And then in verse 1 of chapter 2, you have this admonishment. For this reason, understanding who Jesus is, the preeminence of Jesus, the power of Jesus, for this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. So that we do not drift away from it. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was at the first spoken through the Lord Jesus, it was confirmed to us by those who heard God also testifying with them, both by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. You know, God's word, our intent should be one where we look and we study and we listen for what reason to make the applications that each one of us need to make. And so at different moments in our life, there may be different applications that different we have to make in our life. Because there may be different changes that we have to make to draw closer to God and to be right with God. But in doing so, we must be reminded that don't drift away from God's word. Because it can happen. And it does happen. That even people of God, Christians... Because they don't take heed, they drift, and they drift away. We are accountable to God. We are accountable to our Creator, and there are consequences for disobedience, and there's consequences for straying away from the salvation of Jesus Christ, from straying away from the gospel of salvation. There are consequences to that. The point that he makes here is when you look at the Old Testament, you see the consequences of people who strayed from God's word back then when the message came through an angel. He said, how much more serious, how much more urgent it it should be to us when we realize God is not speaking to us through an angel anymore. He has spoken to us through his son and that son died for us. How can we neglect that message And still be saved. We can't. But sadly, time and circumstances just has a way in all of us of just causing us sometimes to be careless. You know, time just has a way of doing that. We get careless spiritually. Or we we become neglectful spiritually. And if we're not careful, we will depart from the faith. 
So it is urgent. It is eternally urgent that we look intently into God's word so that we have the spiritual clarity to see God's word for what it truly is and what it can truly accomplish in our life. We need to have that kind of vision, not just in the year 2020, but also next year, Lord willing, in 2021, in 2022, in 2030, in 2035. However long God is long-suffering with mankind, however long God gives His breath on this earth. We need to look intently into the Word of God and recognize what it is, who it comes from, and what is supposed to be in our life. You know, 2020 vision is one that sees the personal applications each step of the way. Not just when Leland, David, or Carrie, or Bill, or any of us are standing before you preaching or teaching. Not only then do we need to see the personal applications, but even in your private studies, when you're opening your Bible and doing your daily reading, open it with the understanding that God is speaking to you. God is telling you something. Now you need to hear it. And sometimes it may be something you don't want to hear right then. But it may be the very thing that will save your soul. Do you see Jesus? Do you see him? Do you see that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Do you see that he is the Lord? Lord of lords and King of kings. And he has all authority in heaven and on earth. Do you see that? Do you see that right now, as he sits at the right hand of his Father, he is calling you? He is calling you to obey him. Because he has the power to save you. And he is calling you to keep on obeying him. Do you see that? If you are not a Christian, but you believe Jesus be the Christ, you believe that he is the Son of God, but you've not rendered obedience to his gospel, we want to encourage you to make that decision, to make that commitment today. And we're ready to help you with that. But you must confess your faith with your mouth before others that He is the Son of God. And with that confession, you must repent of your sins, turn from that way of life, and be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins because that's what Jesus has commanded. And if we can help you do that, we would rejoice to do that with you. But maybe you're a Christian and there is sin in your life that you've not repented of and you've not confessed to your father yet, if we can assist you today in praying with you, praying for you, we invite you as well. Whatever your spiritual need may be this morning, please come forward, make your wishes known while we stand and sing the song that's been selected.